Welcome to the Wits and Weights podcast, where we discuss getting strong and healthy with strength training and sustainable nutrition. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and in each episode, we examine strategies to help you achieve physical self-mastery through a healthy skepticism of the fitness industry and a commitment to consistent nutrition and training for sustainable results. Welcome to another episode of Wits and Weights. I'm extremely excited for today's guest, Karen Martell, not only because of her work in women's fat loss and hormones, but the genuine passion she has for helping others. And I've experienced this personally, both listening to her podcast and in my personal interactions with her. Karen Martell is a certified hormone specialist and transformational nutrition coach and women's weight loss expert. She's the host of the top-rated women's health podcast, The Other Side of Weight Loss. Make sure to subscribe, where she helps women to unlock the mysteries of female fat loss and hormone imbalance. After struggling with her own health issues, Karen was determined to bring her knowledge to others with a bold new approach to women's hormone health and weight management. Karen's passion lies in helping women balance and optimize their hormones in peri- and postmenopause and breakthrough weight loss resistance. Karen, I'm very excited to have you on the show. Thank you for joining me. I'm very excited to be here, Philip. I, I love your audience already because they're very similar to my own audience. <laughs> That's awesome. So they're going to enjoy this conversation so much. I yes. know I'm going to learn a ton uh, talking with you. So just right off the bat, your energy enthusiasm attracted my attention when we connected a while back. And mm-hmm. I'm guessing that you've helped many women with that attitude, with that approach. So tell us about your background in hormones specifically and weight loss coaching for peri and postmenopausal women. How'd you get into that area? How did, um, what inspired you to help others? Yes. So I feel like I've had like a life long journey with hormones, like uh, anything that could happen hormonally. I feel like it did to me, <laughs> like since a very young age, like pretty much since I hit puberty, it was like, Oh, you want endometriosis? Sure. We'll chuck you endometriosis. You want ovarian cysts? Oh, here you go. You want horrible PMS there. You know, so it just like from a very young age, I was very hormonal and not in a happy way. Uh, It really hit the fan, though, when I had my first baby, which I think a lot of women can really relate to this, where, you know, you're ticking along, you have your first child, and then it's like nothing goes back to the same after that. And you're going, what the heck just happened to my entire system? And I was young. I was, well, young ish. I was 33. It was two years after having my child, I had lost all the baby weight. And it was it just suddenly I started packing on weight for no reason. It was actually only about a year and just over a year because I was just done breastfeeding. And that's it it triggered something when I had finished breastfeeding. Mm. And just started packing on this weight. And I suddenly had really bad insomnia and horrible PMS where I would have a migraine for, you know, 10 days out of that month, like right around my period. I was super bloated. So I had a lot of digestive problems. I was getting hives on my body. And like most women, what did I do at that time? I I looked around and said, okay, what do you do when this kind of thing happens? I went into the next best diet at the time, which was, I think, the zone or Adkins, something like that. So I went on to the next best diet, was watching my calorie intake. I hired a personal trainer. 
I started working out like crazy, started going to like these CrossFit workouts and like six days a week, I was pushing Mm. it hard, probably in the best shape of my life because I was working out so much and like really tough workouts and thinking this is the answer eat less, work out more, right? This is what Mm -hmm. we've been told. This is what women still do to this day when they start gaining weight. And I just kept gaining and gaining and gaining and all the problems kept getting worse and worse. Went to the doctor, was put on the antidepressant, the sleeping pills, like, she, she didn't even once say anything about, hey, maybe it's your hormones. I mean, I'm 33. And this just kept happening. And I'm looking around at all these women that I'm working out with who are shredded doing this exactly the same thing that I'm doing. And I was probably eating far better than they were. And I was the heaviest I had ever been. And I was like, are you kidding me? I switched all to all the diets. I was sure. juice cleansing. I was doing enemas. I was like, wow. you know, doing the Atkins, the zone. I tried veganism. Like it, I did it all. So finally I was like, there's something wrong, clearly. And so I've always been a researcher and always into health. So I was like, I got to dig into this farther and see what's going on. And I t- talked to a friend of mine who was a naturopath. And I said, I think I want to test my hormones. And I said, can you test my hormones for me? And he said, yeah, come on in. And I ended up doing what's called a saliva test for hormones, which tests what available hormone levels you have in your body. And it also tests your stress response and like where your stress system is. You said a saliva test. This is just saliva. Okay. Yep. Yep. And so it tests um, your stress hormone cortisol and cortisol is supposed to come up in the morning and then fall Mm -hmm. throughout the day. And when the results came back, my cortisol was flatlined. So I was down at the very bottom at that time. It was called adrenal fatigue. Now it's called adrenal insufficiency. And my estrogen was high and I had very, very low progesterone, which are our sex hormones. And we can get into that. And I also had a very low DHEA, which is another adrenal hormone Um, a stress hormone. And that was also tanked. So there I was highly stressed out. You know, I was the the single mother, you know, no help from the father. I was running my own business at the time. I was a massage therapist. So it was, it was very physical on me. I was just go, go, go thinking I'm not stressed out. I'm doing what every other North American woman's doing, but it clearly was affecting my body. And there I was starving myself and working out the hardest I'd ever worked out, which is exactly the wrong things that I should be doing according to that hormonal profile. And so I did this huge overhaul in my life because it really just made me take a look and go, oh my gosh, I'm way more stressed out than I thought I was. Like, this isn't right. And so I quit working out. I started doing yoga. So I guess that's considered working out, but you know, I went sure. to just yoga, walking, you know, getting more help, all of these things it was not a quick fix. I'll tell you right. that right now. I had to balance those hormones. I later found out I was also very hypothyroid. And so all of these things, and I was like, had toxic load. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff to this picture that I had going on. And it was like, I found all these puzzle pieces, was able to put it together And finally, my body slowly but surely lost the weight. 
And then, you know, once again, because Karen gets all the hormonal stuff, I started to go into an early menopause when I was in my early 40s. And so then I went from, you know, having stabilized my weight for almost 10 years, feeling fantastic. At that time, I had decided as well, I was like, I can't be the only woman that's feeling this, Mm -hmm. that is going through this. There's got to be more women out there that are eating right, exercising, doing everything that everybody's telling them to do, but yet they're not losing weight and they're maybe just gaining. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I went and got my nutritionist certification, started working in weight loss and dabbling in the hormone thing. And then when I hit the early perimenopause, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Okay, fine. I'm going to learn everything I can about the female hormonal system and what happens in perimenopause and menopause. And I'm going to reverse this. And I did. And I still have my regular period now and I'm 46 years old. So it's been great. And now I'm helping women all over the world fix these problems as far as their hormonal weight loss resistance goes and helping them to thrive in these perimenopausal years, which can be anywhere from 10 to 14 years. Mm -hmm. And instead of suffering through this time, I'm, I'm giving them the education that isn't out there to help them with their hormonal state as they get through this time. Wow, Karen. So that that's quite a story, a lot to unpack. Yeah. But that I, was the short version. No, <laughs> no, that's okay. And I, I get it. You have that, and then you have the the twenty minute version. I want to I want to break this into phases before we dive into the hormonal sure. weight loss resistance and the perimenopause because I, I do want the listener to realize the process you went through. You know, you you were frustrated from years of thinking you're doing the right thing. You were doing a lot of what we all do, myself included. You know, the Atkins, and then it was paleo, and then it was keto, and CrossFit, and move more, move more, eat less. And then you, you sort of diagnosed what was going on by looking at your hormones. You didn't necessarily go and do a quick fix and try to try to attack it from the hormone perspective directly. You went and said, you know, what are my priorities that I need to straighten out first? The big things, uh, that, that, you know, steps and stress management, yoga and et cetera, and then see what happens. And it sounds like you, you were able to get to a good state doing that. And I want a lot of people be, to be aware of, of that, that that we that is could be the first step we try before we go to anything exotic. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then you said, okay, now in your 30s, I think perimenopause is mid, mid to late 30s, and yeah. then all the way till menopause, right? So which could be yeah. into your 50s. So it's a wide range. Then you started to have other issues that were um, isolated to that yeah. uh, once you accounted for the other thing. So uh, kind of two different phases, right? And yes. most of your clients are uh, I'm assuming more on the perimenopause side of the mm-hmm. equation. Do you, do you work, do you work with them first on those things and then move on to the hormones or is there a, an approach you take that kind of blends the two? It depends on where they're at. So women don't even know that they're in perimenopause. Number one, and most of them have no clue. They kind of associate perimenopause with their fifties They don't realize that perimenopause now typically starts in our mid to late 30s, as you said. And that's just simply we start to lose ovarian function. We we start Mm -hmm. to lose ovulation. And so the first hormone that goes is progesterone. And this is, like I said, late 30s, early 40s, we see a real dip, like 75% in some women in progesterone. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into what that is. But 
if the woman is still cycling and she's in that late 30s, early 40s, there's a lot that you should be doing and that you can do to really mitigate the hormonal loss and the effects of the hormonal loss without jumping to hormones. Now, there's obviously nuances to that. Like if somebody goes into early menopause, premature menopause, then, you know, you can try and really find out the root cause of why is this person losing her period at the age of 40? Mm -hmm. And there is oftentimes you can find a root cause. It can be from stress. It can be from uh, long-term low-carb diets, too much Mm -hmm. fasting, um, which is all stressors to our body, especially to the female system. So we can sometimes look and go, okay, here's what happened. Or maybe they had trauma. Um, anything like that can, can stop the cycle, uh, and stop you from ovulating. So we, I do look at all of those things. Um, but typically there's a lot that we can do in those first, that first half of perimenopause that doesn't involve hormones. Once you get to a certain age, Philip, it's really about the fact that your ovaries are no longer functioning the way they used to. (laughs) And this will happen to every single woman. Nobody's exempt from it. And at that point, our ovaries just stop making these hormones. And there's no supplements, no diet, no fitness, nothing that will bring that back. And so it's at that point where you don't really mess around. Like there's tons of awesome therapeutic, holistic herbals and, you know, things that you need to really manage. And this is what I help women do so much is their lifestyle and their stress management and the vitamins and minerals and herbals that can really help ease the transition. But you still need, in most cases, if you're, as long as you're a good candidate for them, you really you can't, like I say, you can't supplement or diet your way out of the hormonal loss. And then it comes down to replacing because replacing the hormones, it actually is healthier for most of us to use hormone replacement than not Mm. use it. Yeah. And I guess, um, I know when I, in the testosterone world, we talk about hormone replacement, the, the risk being that now you, uh, sort of train your body not to produce as much testosterone. Is that, is that not an issue because of the fact that you've just simply not producing it anyway? Um, Exactly. And, and you do have to be very careful with that in the younger years, if you're thinking of replacing, because Mm -hmm. there's certain hormones that have what is called the negative feedback loop where you're telling it's coming from the outside source. Testosterone is one of them where it goes, Mm -hmm. Oh, there's testosterone coming in. I don't need to produce anymore. Thyroid's another one. Interesting enough, progesterone isn't. So when you start taking progesterone, it will not suppress ovulation and you can't make progesterone unless you ovulate. And so it doesn't, you can still produce your own, even though you're taking it from an outside source. I'm fascinated by this topic because I think there's a lot of physiological reasons that people hit plateaus and they struggle to lose weight, including hormones. And I think hormones are a big mystery for a lot of people. Um, and I think you, you touched on hormonal weight loss resistance. Is there anything else about that concept that we need to understand? I think it's just good to understand that if you are doing everything right, you're eating right, you're, you know, your stress management, you're sleeping, you're doing all of the, those really important things that I'm sure Philip talks about and you're not losing weight Hmm. 95% of the time. It will be hormonal. 
And so to make sure that that is looked at, um, we women are very hormonal and we have to honor our hormonal system. Mm -hmm. And with this day and age, with all the toxins in our environment and the stress factors, majority of women have some degree of hormonal imbalance, especially in their thirties, forties, and fifties. And looking at um, not only plateaus where, you know, women come in struggling to lose weight, but our, our hormone balance is causing weight gain. And maybe that's just 100%. a counter, a counter force <laughs> um, or other things like sugar cravings and things like that. A hundred percent. Like, you know, you hear these women saying, oh, I can't control my sugar cravings and they're doing, you know, emotional support. They're trying supplements. They're, they feel like they're doing so much trying get control of their eating habits. And sometimes it's just a matter of because they've lost certain hormones that it's driving the sugar addiction or driving the anxiety or driving the depression, which then makes them eat the sugar. Yeah. That, now are these, um, have we nailed down specific hormones that cause those specific effects? Like I understand things like, mm-hmm. uh, not female hormones, but leptin and ghrelin, for example, that go out mm-hmm. of whack, um, when we're dieting that affect our appetite. So if we nailed that down. Well, in so estrogen, as we age, we mm-hmm. lose it, uh, typically later in our forties, we start losing our estrogen Estrogen has, it's got receptors in the hunger centers of our brain. So when we lose estrogen, we can get so that so our leptin signaling becomes off. So we get more hungry. Okay. The other thing is estrogen helps us to be more insulin sensitive. Hmm. So as you lose that, now you're not so sensitive to that blood glucose and you become more insulin resistant, which mm-hmm. will drive the hunger and the cravings and then and also drive insulin resistance to get worse. So there's these kind of behind the doors things that can be driving these things. Yeah, it's that cascade, right? It's, it's yes, like the it's all interactive. The, yeah. So <laughs> leptin, yeah, all of those. Um, so I, I've had I've had female clients that talk about, of course, gaining weight peri- and post menopause. Oftentimes, it's in the form of visceral or abdominal fat, um, or perceived to be. So I, I wanted to dive into that a little bit. Yeah. What, what we know about that and why that's caused, you know, other than the things like alcohol and 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 other behaviors that that we know about hormone yeah. related. Yeah. Yeah. So it is the biggest complaint that you'll hear <laughs> is, "Oh my gosh, I just packed on ten pounds and it's all in my stomach." Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> very annoying. Uh, <laughs> and it's almost asymmetric. Me. Like you, you can't even imagine that, that it happens yeah. there because everything else is exactly the same. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the stomach belly. is growing. Yep. Yes. And so there's a few different things that start to happen um, that drive that. One is that we become more insulin resistant. And we know that, you know, if you see type two diabetes, one of the markers of that, as far as physique goes, is they have a big stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, the man gets the big, hard, big belly right. and the woman gets the softer, but still very all the way around, like no mm-hmm. waistline look to them, which is the same as the menopause belly. So insulin resistance, because of the loss of that, it's always too, let me just say almost always because of the estrogen loss that okay. you gain f- belly fat. Okay. Um, it's the driving hormone of that. So we start losing our estrogen, we become more insulin 
resistant, which can make it so that we gain it in our stomach. The other thing that starts to happen is cortisol can start to go up in our menopausal years. Mm -hmm. And we also know that stress cortisol can cause weight gain in the belly. So that will contribute to it. Your body's super smart and estrogen's the most vital hormone in a woman's body. It has over 400 different functions. So when you start losing your estrogen, your body is so smart. It says, how can we get estrogen if our ovaries aren't going to make it anymore? And how is that? Through our adrenal system and through our fat cells. And so the body goes, okay, quick, let's put some fat on this woman's body so that we can make some estrogen. And so you'll see women, like the heavier they are as they age, typically the more estrogen they actually have sticking around in their system. Yeah. So even though they have no more ovarian function, they'll still have decent levels of estrogen in their body. It's a very logical way you put that. Is this, is this, um, what they call adipocyte hyperplasia, new fat cell generation, or is this just enlarging of, of those fat cells? Enlarging of the fat okay. cells, but I'm not a hundred percent on that. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah. Here I am. Throwing <laughs> we'll have to look that up. Um, yeah. So I guess, it's, so we're scaring everybody with the hormones now. Let me take a step back <laughs> and um, talk about just quickly food and nutrition before we go down the, the path again. Mm-hmm. Is there an optimal set of foods or a strategy, a nutrition strategy women should consider before they go down the path of getting freaked out about all the hormones and the hormone therapy and supplements and medical advice and all that? Yes. Yeah. I always say no matter what road you choose in your perimenopausal years, Diet has to be the foundation. And I was like everybody else in the world where I was to one extreme to the next. Like I said, I've tried it all. I've been there, done that. I've done keto. I've done carnivore. I've been vegan, vegetarian, you know, and get into the, the, the diet camp and the tunnel vision of this is the best diet ever for everybody. And I quickly realized the more women I worked with that how wrong that was. And now I really base everybody's diet plan on what their hormones are doing. And there's certainly some that are better than others that I use a lot more. Um, I've actually created my own kind of diet plan that is very flexible. I tell everyone they have to make it their own. Mm -hmm. But because we become more insulin resistant, it is better to be lower carb as when you're in your 40s out of your cyclical years uh, because we're more insulin resistant and more prone to the weight gain and so our blood because our blood glucose gets a little bit funny it's a good idea to go more lower carb but you want to cycle those carbs because too long too low carb does a lot of damage and i see these women on a daily basis in my practice who have heard me on a podcast talk about it and they're like that's me i did keto and it was so great and i lost 30 pounds and then a year into it i suddenly started gaining and and i didn't change anything and i can't sleep and my hair's falling out like i'm telling you philip almost daily i get this sure so we really see this long-term effect of what these diets are doing to the female hormonal system. And I mean, this is a whole podcast in and of itself, so I won't get Mm -hmm. too far into it, but it's just safe to say you have to be very careful because if you're a woman like I was when I was in my early thirties and having all those problems who I was in adrenal insufficiency, I had hypothyroidism, undiagnosed hypothyroidism. I was a totally 
absolutely burned out. Putting me on a ketogenic diet would have been disastrous Mm. at that time. Another big stressor. Yeah. Another big stressor. And we need the carbohydrates, you know, for, for those, that, those hormonal systems, thyroid and adrenals really need the carb, good carbohydrates. So then there's the person that maybe is coming up that's got insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes. They might have polycystic ovarian syndrome. They might be overweight. That person could probably utilize a ketogenic diet for mm-hmm. a period of time to reverse some of those issues. And then as soon as they can, they can start cycling in some of those good carbs. The other thing is we become more inflamed as we age mm-hmm. and we start losing muscle sarcopenia. Mm -hmm. So when this starts to happen, we really, really need to up our protein. Um, There's a lot of research around this about the loss of muscle tissue and how, you know, muscles uh, process. It's something like 80 to 90% of our glucose in our body. So if we start losing our muscle tissue, talk about putting, there's another reason why you're going to put fat on you're losing your muscle tissue. Muscles process, supposed to process all of our blood sugar. So in that case, you want to be a little bit lower carb because your body's not handling the blood sugar as well. But at the same time, you've got to really increase that protein intake to make sure that you don't lose that muscle tissue. That can counterbalance weight gain like nothing else. Mm, and so, sure. you, you know, diet has to be the foundation. You can't just hop onto the hormones or very, some can, but most can't. We come into our 40s typically not doing our greatest. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to start gaining weight. We're highly stressed out. We're, you know, like it's, it's not, we're not like how we were. We're not as resilient as we were in our 20s or we could party all night. Yeah, and, don't we wish. You know, eat like crap and be fine. And, we're not like that anymore. And so you have to be very careful. And so I always say, you got to have that foundation. You got to figure out what's going to be best for you according to your hormonal profile at that time, because we're more inflamed, we want to do a lower inflammatory diet. So I do lean on the side of paleo. Um, I've personally been paleo for over 10 years. It's just what works for me. Um, I have most of my women on some form of a paleo based Mm -hmm. diet where we, you know, we do a little bit of intermittent fasting for the blood sugar. We don't overdo it. We increase our protein. We carb cycle and we calorie cycle so that we don't plateau. Yeah. So, I mean, the big message in everything you just said, and I I love it. I agree with with all of that is individualization, periodization, and you take it to that next level by incorporating the hormonal aspect of that and saying, Hey, for you as an individual, because of these inputs and these outputs, we're going to get the best results doing this. Um, whereas you know, the traditional approach is everyone will get the best results doing this one thing. Uh, and you come in from a yeah. different approach. Um, yeah. and, and, and I'd like to have the same conversation that, Hey, if you, if you enjoy keto, if it works for you and it's, and it's in balance with your results, then great. That's the diet for you. Um, uh, maybe mm-hmm. you just don't like grains and so paleo is great, you know, maybe whatever. Um, I've heard of elimination diets being used too, which are, are great. Yes. very difficult for if I had yes. to do that. <laughs> They're ch- very challenging, um, but they can be very helpful. Um, and, and, and they can be, you know, and I, I've known pers- people personally have done that. And then when they reintroduce things, they can really, tr- uh, identify their triggers. So I love all of that stuff. And you, you started to go on a little tangent about, um, 
body composition and protein and muscle. And maybe we can talk about that just a little more Mm -hmm. because I think sometimes it's under, not given enough attention with all the talk about weight loss and fat loss, especially for women who, who want to maybe look more tone, have a better physique and, um, feel better and be stronger. And all the things you said about sarcopenia and even osteopenia and health. So how does, how does perimenopause specifically affect muscle growth? You know, somebody comes in and says, just, you need more protein, you need to strength train. Okay. But that's not the end of the story. So how does it affect that? Yeah, because a lot of women, about 50% of women start to lose their testosterone in their 40s. And we know that testosterone is extremely important for muscle growth, not just for the men. Mm -hmm. Testosterone is a woman's most abundant hormone, which nobody knows that. Oh, (laughs) in in absolute terms, you're saying? In absolute terms, we have more testosterone than estrogen and progesterone. We just don't have as much as a man does, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it's any less important. Sure. So we get very much ignored with this from the medical system. It's like to try and find testosterone for a woman is extremely mm. challenging. Hey, this is Philip Pape letting you know that applications are now open for one-on-one coaching. If you're a busy working professional who has tried dieting and exercising for years with little in the way of results and you want to lose fat, get lean, or feel confident in your body without excessive dieting, cardio, or restrictions, just go to witsandweights.com slash coaching to apply. Men, there's clinics on every bloody street corner right. for them. Oh, you need to start. Oh my God, here's your testosterone. Here you <laughs> Come into the alley. Yeah. <laughs> so as you lose your testosterone, you're going to lose that muscle, right? Um Estrogen is is responsible for pro- some of the protein synthesis in the system. So when we start to lose the estrogen, that can also impact the muscle. Uh, there was an, a really interesting paper that just came out, like literally, I think a couple of months ago, by two Australian guys, Robenheimer and Simpson. Have you heard of them? Uh, r- remind me, I don't think so. They wrote a book called Eat Like the Animals fascinating. I I interviewed them on my podcast. I've read their book and that they, from that, from their studies in that book, they studied all forms of species and, um, and then replicated it in humans. And what they found was human beings will overeat carbs and fat to meet their protein threshold. So this is why we're all constantly over why it's so easy to overeat carbs and Mm. fat because most of us aren't getting, aren't eating enough protein. So now we tend to, we're eating far more calories than we need to, because we're trying to meet our protein, that this protein intake that we need as humans. Interesting. Is that, is, let me stop you there. Is that, yep, is that yep. simply because, you know, in the wild protein is just not as abundant uh, versus the other sources. And so you have to eat just more, a larger quantity overall to get all the the trace proteins to add up, all the amino acids from all the different sources to add up to the protein you need. Is that where it comes from? I think so. Like they even, (laughs) they even, like they studied things like uh, grasshoppers and larvae, even in these things that were like, what do you call them? Like amoebas, amoebas, like not organisms, all every single species does this. They'll even cannibalize each other to meet their, like some of these um, insects will cannibalize 
just to meet their protein intake. Interesting, because I, I know people make the argument that why are gorillas jacked when they're vegetarians? And when you look at how much they have to eat every day, they get enough protein that way. hundred percent. So the book starts out where they're talking about an orangutan who okay. they studied the exact, they, they, they measured and weighed everything that went into the monkey's mouth and they tracked it for like three months and they realized that that monkey was eating the exact amount of protein every mm. day through fruits and vegetables. Sure. So we're drawn. So, I mean, your point was we're drawn to carbs and fats and in the modern, in the modern world where they're so abundant, that can not be a great thing. Well, they're highly palatable foods, right? Like it's like, woohoo, give me the fat Mm -hmm. and carbs together, please. Like a donut, Mm, delicious. But they came out with, so they they extended their research and they've been working on this for the last couple of years. And so then this is the paper that was just published where they talk about menopausal women and the need for protein and how it increases as we age. So as we're, you know, growing up and we're going through our adulthood, there's a certain percentage where you have to meet this threshold or your body's trying to meet this threshold, this protein threshold, which is, I can't, I want to say it's like 15 or 30%, I think it's 30%. And then as you age, that increases. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you think about all the stuff that I just talked about, all this blood sugar dysregulation, and you're wanting to eat more and you're stressed out, your cortisol's a mess. And you're going to be craving carbohydrates. You're going to crave those highly palatable foods because that's what happens when you're insulin resistant and you're stressed out or depressed or anxiety ridden because you have no hormones. Mm -hmm. So not to paint a horrible picture here. I hate being the Debbie Downer with all of this, but just to give you guys an idea of what happens, you know, inside the body. And so that if we're not meeting our protein requirements, as we age, mm-hmm. we're going to eat even more than we yeah. used to. And, you know, I don't think you're a Debbie Downer at all. I think you're highlighting <laughs> facts that <laughs> that are just there. You didn't you didn't make them up. Uh, they exist. And we can do something about it. That's the positive messages. That's what you do every day with people. Um, so getting, getting, I guess we're not off track. This is all great stuff. But getting back to the hormones then, um, I know you talk about bioidentical hormones, which I think is the same as natural hormone therapy, but you can correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Are, yeah. are they safe? That, that's the first question people might have. Are they safe? They're extremely safe. Yes. There's a lot of bad rap because of um, the Women's Health Initiative study. And most people don't even know why they're afraid of hormones, but that's why it was from that study. Even though they n- never even heard of it, that's where the fear has been stemming from since 2002. So it used to be that it um, estrogen replacement therapy, which used to come from pregnant horses, it was called Premrit. It was the most prescribed medication in North America. So every woman was on Premrit back in the 1950s and on. Like everybody, it was number one. And then they decided to do this great big study and it was the lar- one of the largest studies of its kind. That's how big it was. It was billions of dollars. It was like, it was insane. There was two arms of the study. One arm was Premarin used with fake progesterone, which is called progestin. Mm-hmm. And then the other arm of the study was women without a uterus, and they were just on Premarin. Okay. 
they halted the study early, two years early, because they they saw a rise in breast cancer cases, not very much. It was very small, like an extra four people out of 100,000. That's how minuscule it was. They saw this increase, little bit of the breast cancer, little bit of heart attack and stroke. And so they were like, oh my gosh, hormones cause breast cancer and, and heart attack, heart disease. Every woman needs to get pulled off of these hormones. And kind of word went out to the world, yeah. HRT causes breast cancer. And it's never gone back. And there has been several analysis done of that study, reanalysis done. Mm. And what they now see in that study that was not shared with the public was that the arm of the study where the women were on Premarin only had a decrease in breast cancer cases by 34%. Wow. So it was the progestin that caused the increase in breast cancer. And if we look at all of the studies that have now been done and we kind of collect them together, we see now that women that replace their estrogen have a decreased rate of developing breast cancer. And most can't even believe that. Because yeah, they think I, breast I, cancer, I, oh my God, I'm gonna, you know. <laughs> it's it's you're right. It's one of those scientifically misinterpreted results that has stuck for decades, I guess, now. And I'd be really curious to see. I'm sure the that we can identify the the papers or the, the current papers that oh, back yeah. that up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, tons. Uh, so then, so they're safe. Um, when would women start using them? Yeah. And don't get me wrong. There are a select group of women that shouldn't be on hormones. Mm, sure. And this is something okay. that you want to talk to a knowledgeable hormone practitioner, probably not your doctor, unfortunately. Doctors are not trained in bioidentical hormone therapy. So they're going to have that old view most of the time of, oh my gosh, it'll cause you, give you breast cancer. But right. then they'll go give you the birth control pill, which is full mm. of progestins. Mm the thing that yeah. causes breast and we are cancer. not dispensing medical device on this show disclaimer <laughs> no yeah um so so if you if you're going to choose the hormone route now we ha- we're lucky we have the choice of doing what's called bioidentical or body identical hormones so premren we're not horses <laughs> we do not have the same estrogen as horses and yet that still worked and it still decreased our risk of breast cancer and osteoporosis mm. and Alzheimer's and, and did a whole bunch of wonderful things for us. But it also had some bad to it too. It didn't does increase the risk of heart attack and stroke because you have to take it orally. So it has to go through mm. the first hepatic pass of the liver, which increases inflammation and it can increase your risk of heart attack and stroke. Past 10 years, it can increase your risk of breast cancer. So we don't need to choose that anymore. We can mm. now do bioidentical, which is comes from either yam or soy and is identical to what your body makes. So your body can't distinguish between what's coming in from a cream or a shot or however you're going to use it or what your own body produces on the mm. inside. So it's extremely safe. We know, I mean, I can go on and on about the benefits of hormone replacement, but we do see a lower risk of developing all types of cancer if you replace your hormones for at least 10 years post-menopause. We see that women, there was a great big study out of Arizona where they looked at 4,000 women and the results of that study showed that women that replaced their estrogen for five, six years or longer 
had a reduction in developing Alzheimer's and dementia for up to 75%, which wow. is huge for something that they say there's no cure for. But you ask a woman how she how her brain feels in menopause when she loses her estrogen, and they'll say, I can't formulate words, I can't remember, I'm so afraid I'm developing Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is also one of the highest killers of women right now, and it's getting more and more so. So we know that estrogen is extremely important for brain. Progesterone is very counteractive to that. Estrogen is a growth hormone, so we always want progesterone in there, not progestin, progesterone in there to counteract growth. That also shows protection of the breasts. If you have breast cancer, this is where there's some caveats to this. If you have breast cancer or you have a history of breast cancer, you obviously have to be more careful because estrogen is a growth hormone. If you've got breast cancer, it can make it multiply. But you you should have more fear of drinking alcohol (laughs) and eating too much sugar will cause breast cancer before your estrogen replacement mm. in most cases. I mean, like I said, this is not for blanket thing statement yeah, sure. here. This is in general. We're just having a conversation, you know, we're just, we're just trying to educate people <laughs> and people want to look into this. And I, I think it's great. I think, I mean, if, if somebody wants to start pursuing their own education about their own body and their hormones, where would they start to, to determine whether they're processing hormones properly? How can they do that? Great question. So I always say as soon as you can start testing your hormones. So if you're in your 30s and you're feeling fine, now's the time to test because you really want to see what are your levels at Mm -hmm. when you feel good. And you look good as a baseline. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're past that, don't worry. It's it's never too late. (laughs) But we want to get a really good idea of how does your body take on these hormones? Uh, Are you more estrogenic? Are you more androgenic? There's so many things that you can look at. There's also breakdown pathways of hormones that you can look at that can tell you if you may have an increased risk of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Because of which path your body chooses to break down estrogen, because some are more inflammatory and damaging than other pathways. Uh, So if you go to your doctor, your doctor will only test through blood, which will only test what's called bound hormones, and they're bound Mm. to a protein. These are not able to be used by the body. They have to get off the protein in order for the cell to, to use it, for it to dock onto the cell. So this is, again, probably a little too science-y for everybody. Oh, but the, but the free version, I mean, same the thing free with testosterone. And total. Free yeah. versus, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. And men can get their testosterone free levels tested through it, serum. With, with but the blood. But no yes. other hormones <laughs> do they test free levels through serum. God forbid we help women. But... <laughs> but you want to see what those free levels are because your total levels may look great when you don't have a lot of available hormones to the body. Mm -hmm. So if possible, you can do saliva, which tests free levels only, or you can do what's called urine metabolite testing, which is the gold standard. That's going to give you your biggest picture because it's not only going to reflect levels of free hormones, but it's going to tell you how you're processing all of these hormones okay. and how, where, how, how are you metabolizing? Which pathways are you going down? And there's a lot that we can do with that information. Okay. So the, again, you said urine metabolite and the saliva based yes, testing. which cannot be done through your primary care standard physician. Doctor. Yeah, yeah. Standard doctor. You need to buy that out of pocket. 
And you mentioned about women's health. I'm sure we could do an entire episode about the history of <laughs> of gaslighting and women's health, if you want to call it that. I, I had, yes. Um, I, I, yeah. I've done I, them on I, my I own podcast. And, and I, I can <laughs> sympathize and empathize with that. Um, so kind of, I guess, third to last question. Um, sec, uh, asking for a friend, what do you think of the concept of seed cycling? Um, I, I think the intent is to minimize the fluctuations in hormones from cycle to cycle, but I'm not entirely sure what the purpose is. So is there a merit to this strategy? Yes. So seed cycling is actually used to help promote different hormones, to help them okay. come up, levels come up. So it's based around, we want estrogen in the first half of the cycle and we want more progesterone in the second half of the cycle. I actually have seen seed cycling work really well to help balance a woman's hormones and help with PMS when they're cycling. So if you okay. are a cyclical mm-hmm. woman, not in menopause, this can help. And and remember what I said, like we can't, we can't seed our way out of hormonal mm-hmm. loss, just right. like we can't diet our way out of it. Same goes, right? So if you are in your 30s and you're still got a cycle, seed cycling is a really great way to help balance those hormones. So you eat certain seeds in the first half of the cycle, and then you eat other seeds in the second half of the cycle, like pumpkin and sunflower, Mm -hmm. sesame, and flax. flax. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. And it's an easy, it's an easy thing to to do and try. Yes. Yes. And there's tons of herbals and stuff. Like there's so much you can do in those early years that don't contain hormones. Right. Okay. So the penultimate question I like to ask us of all guests is, uh, what one question did you wish I had asked and what is your answer? Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you would have asked. I'm not like dying for you to ask me a question. I don't think, um, (laughs) We covered so much. I know we really did. I mean, I can go off on so many different tangents. Okay. How about this? Is there light at the end of the tunnel for menopausal women? Because I do tend to tell you all this negative stuff and women kind of go, Oh my gosh, like this sounds like it's horrible. And I don't want to be part of this. You know, like we'll be going through this. This is all just negative. Well, I'll tell you right now, number one, there's, There's something you can do. And that's what we've talked about here today. This is going to arm you with information and education so that you can go out and take action and do something about how you feel. There's so much that you can do to get through this time, low to no symptoms. I mean, I've seen women transform their lives just by replacing their hormones where they're like, oh my gosh, I feel like I've come alive again. My libido's back. My skin's back. My hair's growing better. I feel better. I've lost weight. Like the list just goes on and on and on. This can be the best time of your life. Truly, honestly, I mean, we are told everywhere we look as women that we are not allowed to age. And you've got to ignore those things because aging can be the best thing Ever. Let me tell you, this is when you're going to hopefully be the wisest (laughs) in your years. You're more confident with who you are. You're just like your kids have grown up or they're growing up and they're not so needy anymore. You've kind of decided on the husband, whether he's staying or going or your wife, whatever you choose. You know, like this is when you really get to know who you are and you start to put yourself first. For the first time in your life, mm-hmm. you put yourself first in most cases. Women, you know, we we try, we get married, we get the career, we have the children. It's all about that. 
And then suddenly you hit your 40s, 50s, 60s and beyond. And it's like, oh, now I get to live for me and put myself mm -hmm. first. And it's a beautiful, amazing time. And, and so cherish it and make sure that you feel your best. Don't just survive this time. Thrive during these years. And you can thrive during these years. That is a great way to end. I love that. Don't just survive, but thrive. And I do want to give you the opportunity. Last question, Karen, after this amazing conversation, where can listeners learn more about you and your work? Yes. So karenmartell.com is the website. You can find me on all the social accounts at Karen Martell Hormones. And then, of course, my podcast. I think that that's probably one of the best sources of information. I talk a ton about weight and hormones and everything and everything else. Um, it's, as, it's always number in the top 100 of the nutrition podcasts on iTunes. We do really, really well. We've were voted top 20 weight loss podcasts of 2021. Um, so it's great. And then I also on my um, website, you can take my free hormone quiz that tells you what your top hormone imbalances could be and which what could be stopping you from losing weight. And it comes with a nice ebook about um, some strategies that you can get started on right away, as well as a two week free hormone and metabolic meal plan, which is what I talked about earlier, where we cycle the carbs, we cycle the calories, and you can kind of get an idea of how to eat that way. Um, so that's all free. And you can get that over at karenmartel.com. Awesome. A lot of information. I think just for the listener, the name of her podcast is The Other Side of Weight Loss, which you can go right now and download it. Very high quality podcast, lots of great information. And we just scratched the tip of the iceberg here. So I'll throw all that in the show notes so listeners can find you. And Karen, this was eye-opening, very valuable uh, conversation. And I really thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'll come back anytime, Philip. Absolutely. Love to have you. Thanks for listening to the show. Before you go, I have a quick favor to ask. If you enjoy the podcast, let me know by leaving a five-star review in Apple Podcasts and telling others about the show. Thanks again for joining me, Philip Pape, in this episode of Wits and Weights. I'll see you next time and stay strong. Hey, before you go, I want to let you know about a free resource I have. They are free guides on everything from fat loss to eating out to building muscle to managing hunger to figuring out the best macros for you and more being added all the time. You want to get the most out of these podcasts and your time to look and feel your best. And these free guides will give you a quick and easy way to know what to do. If you want to get your hands on these completely free guides, you can head over to witsandweights.com slash free. That's witsandweights.com slash free to get your free guides and level up your results today.